a listener production. Hi, I'm Elle Ferguson and this is Sliding Doors, where I chat with inspirational people from the world of fashion and beauty about their sliding door moment. That is, the moment they took a chance or made a life change that led them to where they are now at the top of their game. Having founded my own fashion and beauty brand, The Elle Effect, I know that succeeding in these industries isn't easy. So I'm inviting the people I admire most on the podcast to share their stories, insights, and tips for turning your passion into a career. Hi, darling. I can't believe I literally have not seen you in like two years and this is how we're doing it. It's wild. I love that you're like really in a in a booth, like the whole thing. <laughs> I love that you're in a wardrobe. <laughs> You've got very serious headphones on. Very professional. Rachel Zellick is a chameleon like no other. This girl has pretty much worn every hat in the shop and is not afraid to talk about it. Rachel is an Aussie who left our shores and made it big in the US. She worked with amazing brands such as Revolve and now finds herself as the VP of Influencer Marketing at Who, What, Where. How pregnant are you? I'm either six or seven months. How? Also, I think it's so funny, like your first pregnancy, I was like, I'm 25 and a half weeks. (laughs) And like, I would know, it's the size of a cabbage. And like, this time I'm like, I don't know, six or seven months, something like that. Funnily enough, I actually met Rachel many years ago, but it was a chance meeting years later in Palm Springs at a Revolve party where we realised I'd actually worked as a blogger for her first business, Style Stalker. That brand dominated Australian style. Rachel is a huge part of educating the world on the power of the influencer and I cannot wait to talk to her. Rachel, welcome to Sliding Doors, the podcast. How excited are you to be here? Ah, A million out of 10. So excited. I've missed your face so much. I know. I've missed you. I walked in and saw your face on the screen. I was like, I just want to see her and chat to you. I feel like it's been far too long. I think that's basically what we're going to do is like have a good old chat. Exactly. But to get us started, I have this thing called the fast five. Now, you're not allowed to think about it too much because the quicker you answer it, the more honest the answers are. And I've put a special one in there just for you. Okay, last song you listened to. Panow. So my husband's in a band called Panow and he wrote this new song that's insane. I can't even probably say what it's called, but Uh I am listening to it on repeat. It's bonkers. Yes, we need that. We need that. I listened to one of his other songs on repeat. So yay. (laughs) Okay. What's always in your fridge? Blueberries. My son is mental for blueberries. He could keep the whole blueberry industry afloat. He just like is a blueberry. (laughs) Okay. If somebody played you in a movie, who would it be? I always get told I look like Catherine Hahn. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Yes. I mean, she's like a good 50. I think she's like maybe 15 years older than me. No, but, but the younger version. We're all good. Yeah. I, <laughs> We're good. I'd like people to clarify that, but they never do. <laughs> but anyway, she's cool. She's super cool. <laughs> okay. Would you rather give up social media for life or eat the same meal for the rest of your life? I'll easily give up social media for life, happily. And the last question, which is specifically for you, what was the last cake you baked? Oh! (laughs) (laughs) Yesterday I baked a penis cake for my friend's bachelorette. (laughs) 
<laughs> nice. You know what? I've There's been... no explanation needed. I just Perfect. think you should leave it like that. <laughs> so for people that don't know you, I feel like our paths crossed many years ago, but we were in the same place at the same time at a revolve party in Palm Springs. Yeah. Could you tell the people who you are and what you do in a nutshell? So I... I'm a Sydney girl, born and raised. I'm now living in LA for almost a decade. Um, Back to the beginning around, I'm not good at years, 15 years ago, I guess. (laughs) When I was still at uni, I was at UTS, good old UTS, studying communications and law. Um, I started a clothing label called Style Stalker, which ended up being a really incredible I think it sort of like paved the way for a lot of these other Aussie labels because at the time it was really filling that gap that wasn't so prevalent between like the Australian designers who were around at the time who were incredible, you know, the Sassam Bides, the Alice McCall's, yep. the Shakahachis, the, all of those brands that were like so cool but still quite expensive for someone who was in university. And then like the high street that we had at the time 15 years ago, it was kind of sports girl and yep. like there Portman. wasn't very much. Yeah. So started this label in Oz called Style Stalker and then ended up with that moving to the US to expand it in the US and then um, kind of built a portfolio of brands with that company ended up leaving that company, selling off my part and moving to Revolve. And basically that's again where our paths crossed, but um, that was epic. Just kind of taking all my relationships and skills, but taking it to the next level with budget and infrastructure and all those good things Um, and incredible creative people around me. So I was there for a couple of years working across design and marketing. My career up until that point was always kind of 50% design and marketing. And then after that, ended up going to Who, What, Where, which is where I am now. Which is amazing. Yeah, where I um, specifically kind of honed in on working on influencer marketing. So we run influencer marketing campaigns from everyone from like Walmart to Gucci and everything in between. And I love that now it's kind of, I get to like, over the years, I like honed in and specialized on what I really love, love doing. When did you work out you had a unique talent? Do you know what I mean? Because within what you've just told me, there's so many talents, but I guess one that kind of stands out to me is that you kept evolving, you kept changing, you kept seeing opportunity and you kept moving with it. When for you did you identify in yourself that you had a special skill set? You know, I think it would be early in the days of the brand that I mentioned, Style Stalker, we started to, I started to reach out to influencers, which at the time, this is where we first yeah. crossed paths, weren't even called influencers. No, we it were was bloggers. Bloggers. <laughs> um, bloggers. And, you know, those days were so innocent and lovely, weren't they? Yes. But very organically, you, you know, the industry back then was like, no one was making money off it in the beginning. No one was, had a business plan. No one like thought to do that straight away. But I just instinctually kind of felt like this was amazing. I wanted to be a part of this from the other side, from the brand side, you know, and it started really organically like, hey, I love what you're doing. If you like my clothes, let me send you some. If you like them, wear them, like no pressure, blah, blah, blah. And I think pretty early on, we started to see like that that was working 
when no other brands really like were getting it. So, yeah. I mean, I remember once super early in, in the days, like Rumi nearly. Yeah. Remember Rumi? Yeah, OG, fashion toast. Love us. Fashion toast. Fashion toast, like back in the day. She wore one of our dresses. <laughs> and up until that point, we were like this e-commerce site making a couple of sales a day. She wore a dress and we sold like, I don't know, hundreds of yeah. dresses overnight to the point we were like on the phone with our bank with our developer being like, we've been hacked. What's going on? I got goosebumps because yeah. I remember what it was like back at the beginning, you know? Yeah. And once the the switch was flicked, it kind of was like a light bulb moment of people understanding the power of the yes. influencer or the blogger or yes. what they were then. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I sort of realized that and then, you know, various other things that even weren't as direct. For example, we were one of the only brands at that time to really expand quickly internationally. So at the time, we were the only Aussie brands sold in Selfridges. And, you know, I would travel to LA and, and pick up first individual accounts and then got a sales agent here, showroom, PR agents. But it was really the influencer um, imagery and press and coverage that was fueling all of that as well. So even if that's less direct and like measurable in the sense yeah. of like, oh, so-and-so wore then you sold this amount of dresses, it was like, okay, this magazine's interested in you because of the influences. This retailer is interested in you because of the influences. And to me, it felt rewarding because yeah. very few people at the time were kind of seeing that and respecting the power that you guys have. And so I think... Pretty early on, I, I figured out two things. Firstly, that I, I had a skill to to see the value that, that yep. you guys bring and see how to work with you best as well because I had so many friends because we all came up together. And yes. one of my best friends is Gala Gonzalez who had the, she had her blog was called Amlol. Was obsessed. 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 I remember seeing her in Sydney once and literally followed her and her mother down Oxford Street. So if she's Love listening... It. That was me. <laughs> <laughs> but like, girls, oh my God, she's a blast. But we would travel together and I would see, you know, the brands. Yeah. I would see, for example, what she was trading for a free hotel. And I was like, this is worth like $350 a night and you're giving away like thousands of dollars of value. It doesn't make sense. This doesn't, you're, you know. Yeah. Conversely, I would see other things where brands were like paying a lot of money to influencers and not getting their value. So I could kind of just see it, I guess, from both angles. So I think pretty early on, I realized like, okay, cool. I feel good that I understand. I think I understand what you guys want and need and how you need to be supported. And I also understand the value that you can bring to brands that some other brands are slow. Even yeah. honestly, do you remember, like you probably experienced so much, even like magazines oh, hated babe. you guys it at first. A, it was a dirty, dirty word. It's a, I often talk about this and I like to keep it in quite a positive light, but I feel like we were never on an equal playing field. And it wasn't until I went overseas and I saw how it was kind of happening overseas and the acceptance and the respect, like you just said, that then I came back and, you know, it really tried to like have the conversation with magazines. And I mean, I was lucky enough, Cosmo accepted me and put me on the cover. Um, and that was huge because I remember many years before it just not even being invited to a party. 
you know. Exactly. I feel like there was this old school editor resistance at the very beginning that you guys had to really work to break down. And and I always think it's so funny now because it's done a full 180 oh, yeah. where all these like OG traditional yeah. editors want to be influencers now. And Margaret Zhang is now an editor. Like, Oh do, my gosh. Do you know what that I mean? That was like a win for the whole industry. We I, did stand I up. Like, we all stood up together and applauded. Exactly. Can I ask, when we talk about that moment and you were traveling and you were so much changed, like, I mean, not a lot of people believed it was a real job or what was happening. Who was kind of your cheerleader or who was supporting your dreams? Because if you were studying, you know, communications and law degree, that's very black and white. You know, the path you're taking, you know what you're doing. And then for you to kind of go, no, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm going to start a business. I'm going to sell my half. I'm going to move. Who supported you? I would say in a practical sense, my biggest supporter was my mom. I mean, firstly, myself, to be honest, I think also I have to caveat that when I I actually dropped out of my final semester of law. Oh, wow. I kind of like gave up this like, yeah, like you said, black and white traditional path and started a business that I knew nothing about. I had no training or background. I didn't even really have any friends who worked in fashion. I was 20, but but at that age, you're just fearless. You have nothing to lose. Yes. I saved up $10,000 working at Mitre 10. I love and- it. <laughs> we have a moment for that. Exactly. <laughs> Illegally driving a forklift. <laughs> Did not have a license Do you for. know what? Knowing you, that doesn't shock me at all. Fearless. Yep. Fearless is the word. Fearless. And you know, and we'll fast forward to it in a minute because I'm I'm now in the process of starting a company a, again, and it's so different because the stakes are so much higher. And so, you know, you know so much more. You know, yeah, you know. So in that sense, my first supporter was myself because I was just fearless, and I was just like, "What have I got to lose? Ten thousand dollars that I made at Mitre Ten, like." Worst case scenario, I can go and like move back in with mom and work at um, the other Mitre Ten. You know. Exactly, work at Bunnings. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> and build that up again. So there wasn't that much to lose. But then after that, my most practical supporter really was my mom. She, you know, she was a single mom. She came from nothing, like grew up poor, just amazing, hardworking woman. And when we got our first purchase order, so if you guys understand how wholesale clothing works, basically um, you get a sales agent, they go out and show your samples to a bunch of stores, all the stores put in their order, you compile the order, then you have to go and take that to the factory to produce. So the first sales order we got was like incredible because it did really well, but overwhelmingly scary because we had to spend like $100,000 on production, which we had the promise of the orders. So it wasn't so much of a gamble, like we have to then sell it, but it's still a gamble. And my mom actually took out a loan, like extending her mortgage. So she remortgaged her house to fund that sales order, (sighs) which is like, I mean... I can't even imagine. Again, I was probably like a a ballsy little 20-year-old who didn't even understand the gravity of what I was asking. But, you know, for a woman who's like salt of the earth, worked her whole life, she doesn't have a backup plan to make that money back if I were to lose it. Like, Yeah, but she believed in you. Yeah. So I'm so grateful, eternally grateful for that. Oh, I love that. You know what? It's funny doing these chats with everybody. It's often the belief you have in yourself or there's one person 
that really gives you that, like, whether it's financial or it's just a nudge, there's always seems to be one key person. It's quite amazing. So I, I love that. But fast forward, I just want to chat about Revolve just for a second. Yeah. How did that happen? Because they're phenomenal. I mean, they were at the top of my list of people to work with and people to be friends with and just people to hang out with. Do you know what I mean? But for you to be this girl that was working at Mitre 10 (laughs) to going and working with the number one company. I mean, you know, I feel like they're the people that set the trends for everybody. They're the the leader in the game. How did that happen? I always think the best way to get a job is to just like go out and do the thing yourself. So for example, if I had have had a job before then, probably would have been really hard to get ever work my way up to revolt, just like a little Aussie girl. It would have been like step by step by step, you know, but because I created these, these labels and we'd been selling these labels to Revolve for many years and two of them were amongst the best-selling lines at Revolve yes. because I was in LA and I was out and about and I was kind of had mutual friends with, with the owners and founders. Yeah. It was a good um, segue. So kind of the way that it happened was I had these these brands or this company. I was having troubles. We brought an investment and I had an original business partner and like things just were not going well. Something that is no one ever talks about, but it's like the most common reason that businesses fail is that the partners don't get along. So I'd reached out to Risa really just like in a friendly way, like, hey, I knew her a little bit. We shared the same showroom. I was like, hey, could you just like give me some advice? You seem to get on really well with your business partners. Like, could you give me some advice on like how I could do better at this? And, you know, a couple of drinks later, she's like, fuck them. We (laughs) respect and love what you do. Come do something with us. So, so yeah, that's kind of how the transition happened. And I think it's so special. I think they're so special that they also are good at spotting talent. They're not just looking for, again, the traditional cookie cutter, like, okay, you've done a design. I've never done a design degree. I don't know how to sew. I don't know how to make a pattern. I don't know any of that. But you know what's good. Um, You know what looks good. I know what's good. And you know what people want. Yeah. Yeah, you do though. Like, the proof's in the pudding. (laughs) So, yeah. So then that, that was obviously just amazing experience. And, I mean, they're just like, to me, the, the epitome of like, when everyone's like, what's the secret sauce with Revolve? You know, like all these companies, they ask me and like all these like people like, oh, we'll pay you to yeah. like, da, 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 the secret sauce. I'm like, you know, the secret sauce is that the team is fucking incredible. Yes. But most importantly, the CEOs who control the money understand what the marketing and creative teams are trying to do. And there is no friction. The amount of companies that waste time, waste traction, that like great ideas just get diluted because they're spending all their time trying to justify what they're trying to do to like the money people or the CEO or or management or the board. It just doesn't work. So really like the secret source of Revolve is that the Michaels, Mike and Michael, get it. You know, Mike trusts Risa. Risa's a genius. They're in it though. And they're, they're in and it. At every level. Exactly. You know, like that's what. They fundamentally get it. Yeah. And they, they're in it and they live it and they breathe it and that's it, you know. Exactly. Thinking about your journey and knowing you, there must have been a moment that is your sliding door moment. The moment where you kind of could have gone left, but you went right 
or to use the Gwyneth Paltrow haircut. You didn't get on the train. You missed the train. You didn't get on the train. What was your moment? You know, I think the sliding door moment was actually that decision to leave my company that at that stage was my whole identity was wrapped up in that. That was my baby. That was my entire 20s from the age of 20 to 30. I had that company. And at the time, it was doing really well on paper in the sense like financially, like outside markers of success. Well, I remember it. You guys were the leader. Like it was like you were like, like, it was it. It was like the, the brand. Like it was like the name. Yeah. It was, I was at General Pants and I just remember it always being the name. You know what I mean? And it was like the bar and it was, yeah. So it was amazing. Oh, that's such a nice, I'm so glad there's people who still remember it fondly. Yes. So it was hard to leave. Yeah. So outside markers of success, yes. But inside, you know, the partners were all fighting. It was miserable. And I just didn't, it just, I didn't feel good anymore. And so that's a tough decision to make and a big risk, you know, especially having worked for yourself, only really worked for yourself aside from my rando (laughs) jobs like Mita 10, (laughs) deciding to go work for a company. I think the reason that's my sliding doors moment is because that brand, the writing was on the wall in the sense that the wholesale industry has changed completely. I mean, literally six months a year by like 18 months out after I was out of it, the wholesale yeah. model that we, the business model that we built was dead just yeah. because of the way the industry changed. And second of all, so I like got off almost like sliding yeah. doors or like jumped off a sinking ship yes. really. yes even though it didn't, you know, we hadn't hit the iceberg yet. And then it also just opened up so many more opportunities because from that I then, you know, so many different doors opened and so many different possibilities opened where I think had I have stayed, yeah, that business could have been whatever, but it would have just been, I think my career would have been more one track. Yeah. It's funny because it's sometimes the things that scare us the most end up to have the best payoff. Agreed. And I think when you think about it now, like even you saying that, like I've got a feeling in my stomach because I know what it's like when you have to make those really big, those lives and they're so scary, but it's... It, it, they're so but scary. But then like what comes out of it? Yeah, I often say to people, you've just like got to get through the first like 18 months after you make that big decision because then it normally works its way out. You know what I mean? It's like you saying you got off before... Like social media would have, Instagram wouldn't have been alive when you were kind of, it would have just been starting when you were exiting the business. It was, like, no, yeah, it was well underway. Um, it was more just that the that wholesale business model changed, you know, just a bunch of things changed. Like it had become really difficult for independent brands after that. You know, there were so many, I guess, so many companies like Revolve that yeah. were able to, create their own product because they hire smartly people like me. But in turn, that made it really difficult. I think then a new crop of brands popped up that were like super creative and super amazing. But what we were doing exactly as we were doing it, there wasn't a business model for that a year later. So yeah. And you know, the other thing I think is funny about these big decisions is I have such like decision anxiety in life, (laughs) a lot of things, whether it's about like what to order off the menu or like big life decision. But what's really helped me lately is that you can never think of it as a decision. Like 
like an A or B decision because you don't know. There are a million other branches that like ways that that one decision could branch off. It's not linear. So it's not like, okay, do I stay in my company or do I go to Revolve and and that's my career and I'm going to have this incredible career and stay forever at Revolve. Like from that, like maybe you stay or maybe something else comes up or maybe, you know, maybe there's just like a million possibilities, I guess, that come from each decision. So Totally. And I think also a lot of the things is my job didn't even exist five years ago. Like this wasn't even a thing. So we're actually in the world now. Exactly. And I think that's so amazing. Like what you're doing now didn't exist before. You know what I mean? Like when you were studying yeah. and you said, I'm going to do this, the people were like, what is that? You know what I mean? So Agreed. And then we're in the self-made community where you can actually make yourself something, which is even cooler. So it's quite amazing. I agree. With that, can I ask, do you ever like doubt yourself or like question yourself or go, how the hell am I here? How am I doing this? Like, does that happen? Because you're so confident. I doubt myself every (laughs) damn day. Really? Absolutely. I'm so glad you asked this question because we have this idea of these entrepreneurs or these people as just being so confident all the time. And every day I feel like, why are they asking me to do? I don't know what I'm doing. What are the, am I a fake? Am I a fraud? Like is, you have all these thoughts and I think you just have to push them aside and just do the work. And, you know. Is that how you do it though? Like, do you push it aside and like do the research or do you, like, how do you get out of that space? I think there's a couple of things. Firstly, you have to just understand that that's, chatter. That's brain chatter. And just because your brain is saying that doesn't mean it's true. And we are hardwired to be anxious creatures. We, from an evolutionary perspective, we're always worrying about a lion or a, a, you know, a fire or something like that. And because those worries don't exist anymore, I, I, I think that we replace them with other kind of worries. Am I good it's enough? Am, is this going to fail? All of these things. So a big, big, big adjustment for me has just been learning like, okay, that's like a voice in your brain saying that, that that doesn't mean that that's necessarily true. Um, you can just put that aside for now. Like, okay, I've heard you. <laughs> You've said your piece. Let's just do the work and like see what happens. I love that. I actually think that's a really important key to acknowledge it but just move it aside. Acknowledge it and move it aside. Exactly. (laughs) And then I think the other thing that helps a lot is just like coming from a place of like security, which I don't think is, it's easier said than done. But as I've been blessed to have these pivots that are unexpected, I do have this feeling that I'll always land on my feet. And because I'm, I'm not scared of, of, I'm not really too scared of the bottom line. Like mm-hmm. I know that at the end of the day, I'll go work at Trader Joe's and like chat to me. Like I'll figure you can it go out. Go back like, to Bunnings. I go, <laughs> go back to Bunnings. No, it's a funny thing because I think when you're not afraid like that, I often say to somebody like, "If I have to, I'll go to Coles." Do you know? Like, and I'm if that if that what need to be done. That's what needs to be done. That's what needs to be done. I think it's because you don't have ego. Like you're somebody that's never, ever had ego and you've done some incredible things. (laughs) Oh, you're so sweet. No, but I think it's a huge attribute because... 
people can do very little things and have huge egos. And then it's often the people that are doing these incredible, incredible things that don't have ego. And I mean, speaking of Revolve, like Risa and Michael and Michael, like they have absolutely no ego and that's what makes them so cool. So good. Yeah. I agree. And I think ego is so self-sabotaging. The irony is that most people who have ego have this insecurity. And so, you know, what's been so interesting to me is to work in two different corporations that have extremely different corporate culture, Mm -hmm. right? Like, Revolve could not be more different to who, what, where. (laughs) And just observe, like, I think where people get, where they really let this kind of imposter syndrome get to them or this insecurity get to them is when, they're like coming from this place of fear. Like yeah. people don't trust me or people don't respect me and I need to prove my point. And, you know, she's trying to pull one over me. Like anyone who has any of that element, it's just so much harder. <laughs> it's harder for oh, them. Oh, it's exhausting. It's it exhausting. Must be exa- they must go home and be very, very tired. That's all I've say. Super tired. I had a situation where like someone who is, you know, of like senior manager with me just is like, she just doesn't like me. I don't know why. It's always doesn't one. like me. There's and always one. There's always one. It's like, fine. And I'm talking to, I have a boss now, which is so fun. <laughs> I love it. I was talking to my boss and I'm like, babe, you know me, like, I just want to come to work. I want to do a great job. I want to get along with everyone. But like, I'm not trying to climb a ladder or like, to, like what will be, will be. I, if, I'm not worried. So it's just like... This is why I love you because I just love (laughs) that vibe, you know? But ironically, that vibe, I have to say, I wasn't always like that in the past. I think when I actually, you know, full disclosure, when I joined Revolve, I was so eager for people to like me because I went into this team and one of the first jobs they had me do was to review... At the time, there was probably about three to five labels. There was a bunch of different labels in development. Yep. None of these designers had really been, um, had their work like critiqued and reviewed a lot before. They wanted me to go in and use my experience to kind of like review everybody's work day one. So it was a great way to make friends. Yeah. <laughs> so I, it was exactly. And I was like so desperate for people to like me that it backfired. Like I don't think, I don't think people hated me, but they it's didn't. It's not you. It was like, I was thirsty. Yeah. and like, We've all been there. I wanted to be liked so bad and it didn't it didn't work out for it me. It did in so. a way. I mean, <laughs> I think it's amazing that you can acknowledge it now. Do you know what I mean? And pass that on to other people because sometimes it takes some really unfortunate situations to learn the lesson. And what's great about this place is that we've all experienced those uncomfortable situations. We can now share them and hope for the best. Exactly. It's nice to be nice to people, but don't be <laughs> Don't be don't thirsty. Be like, I think you summed it up well. The thirsty, the thirsty, thirsty we've like all been thirsty. I've done some strange things. <laughs> <laughs> but what's next, Rach? What's happening next? What's the next dream? I mean, yeah. you'll have another baby on the way, which is super, super exciting. But professionally, what's happening? What's next? Yeah, so um, I'm still at Who What Where, super happy there. But my, I have another passion project, so... When I had my first son, he just turned two, I went through this like shock and kind of, um, I don't know how to explain it. Like the biggest thing that was shocking to me was that there was so much that I had to learn. The learning curve was so steep 
And yet there wasn't like one good resource or one good place I could go to learn that. And I felt like a boss ass woman in my career. I feel like I can learn things. You know, I, I did a law degree. Like I can learn things, but I found myself in this situation after having my son where I would come home from a full day at work. Um, I was exhausted. I'd, I'd do bedtime, bath time, flop down on the bed at like seven, just exhausted from working and mumming and that all day. And then feel like I had this whole night of research ahead of me to figure out, you know, the learning never stops. Like they're teething, they're they're introducing solids, your potty training. Like it <laughs> literally, like you think you just have to learn about a newborn. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll learn about like newborns in hospital. Swaddling. Swaddling. Yeah. Yeah. And then like the minute you swaddle them and figure that out, they don't want swaddles. And then it's on to the next. So like for me, as someone who is relatively well-educated and and has never in my life had a problem learning, I'm having these like, I still am having these learning difficulties, keeping up with the amount of info that I have to absorb and also you know, piecing it all together, like a podcast here, a book here, a friend's advice here or whatnot. So my passion is to really save other parents that pain. And I'm creating essentially what will be like a masterclass for parenting. So just getting like really vetted and trusted experts, um, people who can talk about the pros and cons of different options. And for any given thing, you could sit down and for an hour, you can take a class on, for example, my son just started preschool two days ago. I had no idea, like, what, how does the application process even work? How do I choose one? How do I prepare him for it? What should I expect the first week? You know, all these things, like, I want to create a space where you can just come and learn the basics. If you then want to go and read books, blah, blah, blah. You got it. But if you're fucking time poor, which all working parents are fucking time poor, you can just come somewhere and feel relaxed. Like, okay, I got this. I I got the basics. I know what, I kind of know what I'm doing. I know what to expect. You filter out. I mean, like, that's what you do with clothes. Like you do with your other amazing profession. You filter out all the noise. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And you just tell the consumer what they want. So I think that sounds incredible. Amazing. Like, I mean... I feel like there's a lot of people that would benefit from that masterclass. Exactly. I think that's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. So I'm working on it slowly. But, I, you know, I have to caveat that I paused it for a minute because as I'm, I'm <laughs> pregnant, which ironically would be a great time to be talking about everything. But, yeah, so I just paused it for a minute and, you know, get my life under control <laughs> before I kick it up again. And it's a new chapter and it's something super exciting. So good on you. Thank you, love. Um, can I ask, for somebody that wants to go it on their own or start their journey to success, what is a little bit of advice you'd share with them? I would say just have the balls to do it. Um, there's no perfect time. There's no perfect, there's nothing you can like learn. You, There's a lot you can learn, but there's nothing like, I'll get this job and then I'll learn so much and then I'll do it myself. Like you're just going to learn a lot really quickly along the way. Really important is have a very clear mission, but don't worry too much about your business plan because it will change. And I think if you are clear on your mission and that stays constant, you can pivot but you'll always kind of be in line. Like the business will always follow a trajectory. So take my example I just gave is 
My goal is to help parents through making education easier and more accessible to them. If that's my mission, I have my grand vision of what I want that to look like. This is like this slick app and But if I can't do that just yet, then like, how do we dial it back? Okay, like last year during the pandemic, I was doing a series of Zoom panels that were were like bringing together these experts that were helping. Okay, if that's too much, like how do I do it? And then if this works or that doesn't work, you can really quickly like pivot around, but your mission's still the same. You're still trying to help people in a certain way or you're still trying to fill a gap that doesn't exist. I I think people get too hung up on like a five-year plan. Like we don't even know. No No one was using TikTok a year ago. True that. True (laughs) that. A bit over a year ago. You know, our jobs didn't exist five or 10 years ago. Like I think the pivoting is an amazing piece of advice because I think pivoting can be very scary but it's often the most attractive thing about you if you can pivot and go with change. I agree. Yeah. I agree. You have to embrace change. You've got to expect to have mini failures along the way. It's not a line like that. It's like, (laughs) it's going to go all the way and and you're going to pivot and re-pivot and pivot again. If you've launched your product perfectly, you've probably launched too late. Yeah. Don't strive for perfection. Strive for like something great that can be evolved and improved on. I love that. I got goosebumps with that one. If you launch it perfect, it's too late. That's a great piece of advice. Like amazing. Yeah, I I really think so. That can be so hard. Oh, yeah. Like I would imagine a personality like yours, <laughs> mine, so many of our listeners, like – you know, I feel like every product you've launched has been absolutely oh, no. perfect. No, no. I'm like the biggest fan. But it's it's funny you saying that because I keep holding off on one product because I don't think I can get the artwork right. And literally my partner last night was like, it's done. It's going to print. We're doing it. And I was like, this morning I woke up and thought, if I wait any longer somebody else is going to beat me to the market. You know what I mean? And it was just funny. I needed his little yeah. words of wisdom to just go. And it's exactly what you said. If I keep waiting until it's perfect, it's it's too late. It's going to be too late. And here's the thing. I'm sure for every product, let's take this example, for every product you've launched, to me, it looks perfect. Yes, it's see. phenomenal. It's blowing my mind. To you, I bet with every single product you've launched, there's been something oh, that you yeah. would have wanted to change, that you weren't quite sure about, da, 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 da. So I think we always look at ourselves and we look at the things that we're doing as glasses half empty. We look at the 5% that's missing or the, you know, whatever. Yeah. And other people look at it as glasses half full, like, wow, this is so incredible. They don't even notice the the 5% that didn't get done in the That's end. That's so true. Yeah. Rachel, I love you and you have I love you. filled my glass back up. <laughs> it might have been a little bit down and like seeing you and talking to you has really just made, like it's made me go how much I do love you and how much you've inspired me and how special it was that you and I ran into each other in Palm Springs by a pool with Revolve because then being able to follow you now that I know you and we're friends, I'm like, you're even more cooler than I thought you were. So thank you for sharing your story because I think it's actually amazing and I think so many people are going to grab so much from this discussion and the fact that you're fearless is amazing so thank you right back at you babe right back at you (laughs) 
Sliding Doors is hosted by me, Elle Ferguson, producer Tina Matalov, audio production by Darcy Thompson, executive producer Jennifer Goggin, and a special thanks to my manager, Camille Toulouse, for always being a fresh pair of ears on each episode. Listener.